well, 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 welcome to the Search SEO Podcast, episode number 27, where SEO knowledge is more rampant than lost tourists in New York City looking for Times Square. We have an amazing show for you today. Content all-star Cameron Jenkins comes on to talk all about the ever-versatile, full-stack content writer, the advantages of having a content generalist over a content specialist, how to find balance when writing any and all forms of content, and how content marketers can compensate for a lack of topical knowledge. Plus, we analyze the down-the-road implications of the announcements made at Google I.O. 2019 and Google Marketing Live 2019. I am your host, Morty Oberstein, and let me introduce to you the new co-host of the In Search SEO podcast, Sapir Carabello. Hi! I'm really happy and excited to be here. I'm a huge fan. Really? You're a huge fan? Yeah! Wow. You didn't ask for my autograph before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that fa- I'm, I'm not that famous. Okay, so I can't tell you how happy I am that you're here, because do you have any idea how hard it is to talk for for a half hour without any breaks? I can't imagine. Yeah, because about 20 minutes in, I start I start dying, literally. So I am forever grateful to you. Welcome. I hope that you have a great time and a great experience here co-hosting. And do not forget, we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can look forward on the Ring Ranger blog. You can look forward on Stitcher, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and of course, you can listen on iTunes. And by the way, I start doing this. I don't plug Rank Ranger enough. Did you know that you can use Rank Ranger for all your SEO reporting needs from search feature analysis to keyword research to keyword volatility trend analysis and so forth? It's all here with Rank Ranger. I don't know why I never plug Rank Ranger. It doesn't make any sense. It is a Rank Ranger show, right? Right. So I'm going to plug a little bit. I'm allowed. It's okay. At this point, we're 27 episodes in. You know we're not about plugging for the sake of plugging. We're all about SEO insights. Okay. With that, shall we move on? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, as you all know, it's announcement season over at Google. First, we had Google I.O. 2019. Then you have Google Marketing Live more recently. So let's get into some of the announcements, point out what they mean, what they imply, what they might bring down the road, for this is their SEO impact. So as a good nonconformist, I'm going to gloss over some of the big time items that were announced. For example, I'm skipping over everything related to Google Assistant. I don't care. I think it's all a bunch of smoke and mirrors. I don't think any of these changes will change the name of the game in any way, and I mainly don't care. Did I mention that I don't care? Maybe once or twice. No, okay. So what we're going to hit on here, uh, we'll hit on the evergreen Google bot, podcast on the SERP, image updates, new shopping cart features, discovery ads, and a top story change that went completely and totally and utterly under the radar. So first up, and mainly because I have to mention it, the evergreen Google bot. Google announced that Googlebot now uses the latest version of Chrome and will continue to do so automatically. Ooh, so this is huge news. I had to mention it. We're going to talk about Google I.O. 2019. In a nutshell, it means that Google's going to be crawling content using the, the modern inventions of the latest version of Chrome, not some outdated incarnation from 2015, which means you can use the latest technology and not worry or not worry as much about Google not being able to crawl the page because it's using outdated versions of Chrome. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's talk about podcasts. Google is now showing links to specific podcast episodes on the SERP, such as this podcast. Oh, oh, and by the way, of course, Morty, we already know that. Why are you telling us about you can see podcasts on the SERP? Old news. True, but two interesting things. One, I've only seen two cases. I mean, I haven't looked at a ton of cases, but I looked at a lot. I've only seen two 
where the podcast episodes appear within the site's organic result. Meaning, if BillyBob.com is putting out a podcast on how to cook the best crawfish, well, then BillyBob.com does not get their podcast episodes showing within their organic results on the SERP. Then who's... Who gets the podcast episodes appearing on the SERP? And I found that it's usually iTunes or Podcast One for whatever reason. So let's say I do a search for the Rich Eisen Show, which is a real podcast. It's a sports podcast that I like. There will be episodes on the SERP within the Podcast One organic result. And then when you click on it, you go to... Mm, podcast One? No, you go to a Google page. And this is item number two. Do not go to iTunes. Do not go to Podcast One. Do not go, you know, do not click, you know, not go to go. Do not... Pasco, right? That's what it is. Not Pasco. Do not collect $200. Rather, a click on the SERP's play button brings you to a Google-owned page where you can now play that episode. Uh, now, I did ask John Mueller, we did ask John Mueller if that meant that this was on purpose or if this was sort of just, it's the beginning, it's the infancy of this new, of this new feature and you know, all the little details haven't been worked out yet. He didn't give a definitive answer and I sort of gathered that he just didn't know yet. So, Okay. By the way, all of this means audio featured snippets or audio rich snippets are coming. Right? Google, as we've talked about here a few times, could get really, 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 really creative with this. And it could add in all sorts of audio to feature snippets or you know, rich audio um, rich audio snippets. That doesn't make any sense. Rich audio rich snippets. I got it right that time. Audio rich snippets. Um, you can have audio content and knowledge panels, whatever your mind can conceive of. Because by the way, I do like audio on the cert more than video. I think it's, I think it's a more natural media format where I can listen. I can move on to other tabs and I can still listen to whatever I want to listen to. I don't have to keep that tab open in order to watch a video. I can play the play button, hear the audio and do whatever I got to do at the same time. So I do think audio presents more creative possibilities, and it's a better fit for the SERP as it is. Okay, let's move on to images. So you assume I'm going to be talking about the new 3D images that you can um, integrate with AR and whatnot that are, you know, these are awesome 3D images on the SERP. Meh, it's cool. I mean, that's about it. It's cool. I don't really see any major SEO impact for it. Rather... Um, a smaller and less notable change or less dramatic change, higher resolution image opt-in. You will soon be able to utilize higher resolution images for appearance within Google Image Search. Now, this is not a coincidence. First off, Google Discovery now uses larger uh, image style, but it also comes as Google announced that gallery ads will be coming to the SERP in earnest. Um, this format is a carousel of large images for your viewing and purchasing pleasure. They have been, they're not new, new. They've been tested on the SERP for a little while now, but now they are coming in full-fledged earnest advertisement-ness. Advertisement-goodness. Whatever. Which brings us to the real gem I want to talk about. Okay. Oh, man. Sapir, tell the good people what they've won with this one. Google's shopping ability goes universal. You will soon be able to buy items right off the SERP within the organic results from YouTube and from image search directly. Ooh, you can buy here, you can buy there, you can buy anywhere. Google's letting you buy via its partners and it gets a cut from here, it gets a cut from there, and it gets a cut from everywhere. By the way, who still thinks Google is not having an ad or revenue problem? Anyone? Who? No? What's that? I don't hear anybody? No one? Okay, this is obviously Google's having an ad revenue problem if it's going to lengths like this. Okay. I mean, goodness sake, okay? The SERP, all of them, right? The the YouTube SERP, the image search SERP, the regular SERP, whatever you want to call it, is going to be one giant shopping cart. I mean, literally, you're going to see a shopping cart 
icon all over the place so you can add items and buy all sorts of things so long as you don't commit the cardinal sin of going to they who Google shall never name, but we will because it's Amazon. It's obviously all about Amazon. Do you want my take on this? Do I have a choice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just, you could just close your ears. No? No. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. The new all-around shopping experience that Google's advocating so heavily won't make a difference. The numbers show, by the way, that around 50% of folks go right to Amazon. They never hit the SERP altogether. Okay, they just go to Am. I do it myself. I never, if I'm, I personally never use Google or the or the SERP or for whatever purpose for products. I go right to Amazon, uh, unless I'm, there's something I'm trying to research. But it's very rare that like if I'm trying to buy a pair of shoes or whatever it is, I don't need really to research. I just go right to Amazon. Now, the biggest issue I have with all of this is that Google's getting all of the the consumers associations wrong. What do I mean by this? Okay. So, Peter, where do you shop for things? Mm, on a website, in a store. Yeah. Okay, you shop in a place. The SERP or YouTube, my goodness, YouTube, is not a place. Okay, It's not how we're wired to shop. Okay, we want some sort of structure because structure, in terms of a purchase, means security, right? And we want structure. We want security. They go hand in hand when we, do a, and we spend our money. As simple as that. You need a place. The SERP is not a place. Google keeps ignoring the psychology of trust and commerce with all these changes that it makes. And when it comes to the, the, its shopping apparatus, whatever you want to call it, and it's time and time again. I don't understand why they keep doing this. Plus, by the way, all of this brings Google into a bit of an identity crisis. Okay, follow me here for a second. One of the least discussed changes this is the one I wanted to bring up. Um, one of the least noticeable or the least um, buzzworthy changes from I.O., was to the news box, the top stories carousel on the SERP. Because soon you will have a timeline of stories. In other words, often in the news, a story develops over the course of days or even weeks. Let's take OJ. Because everyone knows OJ. I mean, bizarrely, you can be in Cambodia or you can be in California. Everyone's heard of OJ. You're a little bit on the... Uh, on the you're making me feel old. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of OJ? What do you mean? Of course I know it's orange juice. Come on. For real? No. No, yeah, it is. Okay, you know OJ. I know OJ. Okay, because he's a famous football player. Of course. Right, that's why you know OJ. Um, and an alleged yeah, right, murder. Alle yeah, okay, well, let's not get into it too deeply on the Insert SEO podcast. We're not about current events. We're about SEO. I don't want to get into it. It's, it's painful. Okay, so you can't boil OJ into one article. It's a series of events that took place over the course of months. I mean, years, really. If you had one article in front of you, you would need to do multiple searches to put it all together piece by piece by piece just to get a gist of things. Well, no more or soon to be no more because soon you will have an entire timeline of articles being shown to you via the top stories um, feature. Uh, in other words, think about it like this. Okay, let's say we were let's say right now it's, you know, in the mid 90s. Okay, and you would see an article. You, you type in, you know, OJ News. You would see a whole timeline of articles from the Bronco chase to the gloves don't fit to the civil judgment all in one timeline so you see the full story without having to execute multiple searches. Really cool. Love it. Okay. But it does turn Google into a resource center. I know I'm getting off topic from my shopping expedition, but I'm going to come back to it. Okay. So Google's now a resource center. Basically, you have this whole, I mean, it is sort of for a variety of other reasons, but having a timeline of news articles like this turns it basically into a giant, you know, encyclopedia of sorts. Okay. It's a resource center, right? Are we a, res are we a research? Are we a search engine or are we a resource center? 
rhetorical question. Oh, I'll answer it explicitly. It's a resource center. So Google's a resource center. Oh, wait. I thought it was a shopping center. Oh, wait. I thought it was a search engine. Oh, wait. I'm really confused because the thing that has more than one persona is confusing. Okay, Google has more personas than politicians have affairs. It's like, it's absurd. I mean, you just look at the last two weeks. Tons of information coming out that makes Google into a resource center. Tons of information, tons of announcements rather coming out that turn Google into a shopping center. Which one is it? You have confl conflicting personas. And mar I don't have to explain this to you. Marketing 101, brand identity 101. That's not good. And I don't understand why they're doing that. Okay, this is my point with the new shopping proliferation. Too many things, too many things that are over the top, too many facets. Are we seeing Google jump the shark? in order to keep its juggernaut status. Which would be interesting, by the way, considering that usually that happens when one company is threatened by another company. Here, okay, it's about maintaining dominance. I think I lost you. Jump the shark. No idea, right? No idea. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, happy days. You ever heard of happy days? Um, Sunday, Monday. Okay. Tuesday. No, okay, guess. it's a show from the 1960s, nah, whatever it is. Right, Who, right. Why wouldn't know what it is? Because it's a classic. It's a classic. I mean, why would you know? Ron Howard. Ron Howard, you know, he directed Apollo 11, Apollo, no, Apollo 13, all sorts of movies, right? Famous director. He was in that show. It's one of his first roles after the end of the Griffith show. Now, which I totally lost you, okay? Okay, so whatever. There's this scene where this really cool guy, Fonzie, the Fonz, okay? He is on, like, water skis, and he, like, jumps over a shark tank. And it was so ridiculous. So they called it – afterwards, the show totally collapsed. It lost all its ratings because it got too absurd. And they call it, when something becomes too absurd and it starts losing its credibility, it's losing its, um, its credentials of being an authority or being something good and valuable, it's called jumping the shark. Okay, good From to happy. know. Good wow. to know. So now you can use that and you should quote me when you do. <laughs> Um, by the way, speaking of jumping the shark, I should mention we put out a post last week, put out a post last week about um, Google My Business monetizing. Okay, we saw a survey a couple of weeks ago come out that seemed to imply that Google may very much be considering monetizing Google My Business. To me, it's another jump the shark moment. So we could use that phrase again. Ooh. Cool. Nice, huh? Twice in one, one episode. And we put out a post last week going through how the changes that Google's made to local SERP features, reserve with Google, product placements in the knowledge panel, the local panel, all build up to Google monetizing Google My Business, so definitely check that out. Okay, onwards. We have a great interview with Cameron Jenkins of Soapboxly. was literally one of my favorite conversations about one of my favorite topics, the versatility of the full-stack content writer. And you're, what's a full-stack content writer? You're going to have to listen. So cut one. This is Radio Clash. Actually, sorry, punk fans. This is actually another version of the In Search SEO podcast interview sessions. Um, so where do I start here? Um, joining us today is the founder of Soapboxly. You may know her from Moz. You may know her from Search Engine Journal and a slew of other places. Um, you should definitely come to know her from the Mark and Method Marketing podcast. She is Cameron Jenkins. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for coming on. So I know you just started your own podcast. So it's coming on here sort of like cheating, but on yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I think for, for me, it's a lot of uh, good experience. I think I, I would love to get on any podcast I can get <laughs> just because I think it's going to help my own podcast be better. So I'm still trying to, you know, get over the learning curve and it's been fun so far. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to help then. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about Soapboxly? What does you guys do? Yeah. So Soapboxly is, a, you know, it started as a side hustle and something that I wanted to do to kind of streamline my own services that I handled on the side. And 
Um, Soapbox is essentially what I've been calling it is an organic growth agency. Um, there's a lot of kind of up and down about, you know, in the industry calling it SEO or is this content marketing or do you do both or do you do one or the other? And I kind of just started saying like, I do organic. <laughs> that's what I do. And, <laughs> and so that's what I do. So Foxley is an organic growth agency and it's very new. And so far what we've been doing is helping clients with a, a wide range of tasks. So some of them want more of the traditional content marketing, like editorial calendars and content creation on a, on a regular type of basis. And then other people want help with a project, you know, maybe they're starting a new website and they want, you know, landing pages and that's what I will help them with. And so it's kind of like the full gamut of content and SEO for the purpose of ranking organically and performing well organically. No, oh, that sounds awesome. Okay. So speaking yeah. of a wide range of, of tasks and, and, <laughs> and, to its, and to a topic that's very much after my own heart, uh, we're going to talk today about the full stack content writer. And I just want to ask you, in, in a time and an age where everything is about specialization, how did you get to the point where you said, no, 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 I'm going to throw all that away and I'm going to go with the idea of a full stack content writer? Yeah, so I would call myself, I guess, an accidental nonconformist if I am one. <laughs> so this kind of happened out of necessity. I mean, we were just talking about Soapboxly, and it was kind of born out of this whole, you know, trying to decide what I am and what I want to describe myself and what I want to be. So digital marketing, I think you're right when you're talking about, you know, there are definitely streams of thought when it comes to specialization and a little bit of an echo chamber. I mean, I'm in it too. I'm sure you find yourself in it. And there's these same like kind of one or two opinions and ideas just floating around and we all just confirm it and just keep <laughs> like, this is the way it should be. And like everyone else is wrong. And so <laughs> I think I kind of had to force myself out of that when I was trying to articulate what I wanted my company to be. I mean, I had to just look internally. I couldn't look to anyone else or anything else to get that information. So you know, through the process of just talking it out with a lot of different people, I was just trying to articulate it and articulate it and, you know, what I wanted to be. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it because nothing felt right. Nothing sounded right. Like I didn't want to call myself a content marketer. I didn't want to call myself just an SEO. And so talking to my husband, actually, so he's um, a software engineer oh, cool. and he was like, oh, that sounds like full stack. That sounds like in my industry, we would call that full stack. And I was like, oh, man. And then it was just kind of a light bulb. And I just latched onto that. I loved that idea. He's like, you know, full stack is you know, the developers who are good at the front end and the back end. And they're kind of versatile and they can do it all. I'm like, I want to be that. I want my company to be that. So um, that is how full stack was born. It was definitely out of, you know, looking internally and not externally. <laughs> born out of necessity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> How does it feel, by the way, to be out of the echo chamber? Because there is definitely an echo chamber. Oh, yeah, it's so true. And I mean, I'm not, that's not to say I'm out of it necessarily. I think everyone is kind of in any industry, honestly, is in somewhat of an echo chamber. That's I mean, true. we all have like the pillars in our industry and we all look to them for those pieces of advice. And we kind of latch onto that stuff. And if we're not careful, we can just kind of believe it and adopt it for ourselves without kind of checking that. Um, and it's not always bad stuff. It's just that, you know, it's nice to kind of pull back sometimes and say, well, what do I think about this? Not what does Twitter on a, like <laughs> SEO Twitter think about this, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably should ask this first, but let me let me follow that up with why yes. is the idea of having a, a, a full stack content writer, why is it worth it to a company to have that? Yeah, so I think it came out of my mentality of, you know, I've done just about every type of 
content project there is. I have, you know, been in the industry for a long time and I've, you know, done everything from, you know, even PPC landing pages to white papers to, um, you know, organic landing pages and blogs and things like that. And I think out of, you know, doing all of those different types of things, I saw how much value there was in just kind of being able to zoom out and see the full picture. So by doing CRO, I was able to see how like, conversions are everything you if you don't have conversions your clients don't get business but then you know doing seo i was like well rankings are everything because if you don't <laughs> rank then you're not gonna get visibility so i just kind of was able to see how critical every single step in that process was and so when i saw how important that was i was you know of the mentality that i needed to train my content team you know when i was at an agency train my content team to kind of think the same way so i think the value in it is just being able to see like you know, those things as tools. And, you know, I think my product is better when I'm able to see how every piece in the puzzle affects my clients. So I think, you know, I would, I was seeing like SEOs getting, you know, pages ranking and they would forget to put a CTA on it or something like <laughs> that. And it's Sounds like, oh, right. you're wasting, yeah, you're <laughs> wasting that traffic. Like your job is not just to, to rank, it's to get your client business, but then you get the writers who were just, they were writing interesting content, engaging content, but then the traffic would fizzle after they posted on social because it's not, you know, it's not standing on the foundation of solid SEO. So I was thinking, you know, this is really important. I think there's a ton of value in like zooming out and seeing that full picture because we want to be good stewards of our clients' budgets. So I, I was just, it was really out of the mentality of, I don't want to be wasteful. I want to make sure that I make the biggest impact for my clients. So this is basically your way of dealing with the, the age old problem of, SEO versus actually dealing with your, your, your audience. Yeah, I right. think that's true. I think, you know, we kind of have a myopic view sometimes and it's, it's always healthy to zoom out. <laughs> <laughs> this is great by the way, because it's supposed to seven, you know, seven easy steps to bridge the, the gap between SEO and content marketing. You've actually created a new idea. Um, so kudos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> sure. So let me ask you, okay, to what extent, and I'm asking this out of personal, a lot of it, what I'm going to ask is in personal experience because this is very much up my alley. Mm -hmm. I, I've gone on job interviews where they've asked, can you write this? I said, yes. And then they've asked me, can you write this? And I said, yes. And they said, how is that possible? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so because it's possible. I don't know how to explain it. It just is. Right. <laughs> With that, and I'm asking because there are so many people who are so set in their ways about this idea, to what extent is it actually possible for one person to master so many content disciplines? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not common, but I think that's what makes it valuable. So even when, like, I definitely, I, in the article I published for Search Engine Journal, I, I definitely wanted to make sure to say, you know, I don't want anyone to feel like they have to risk their mastery of one thing to become like a master of none, essentially, <laughs> like they're becoming a jack of all trades and, and risking, you know, not being as good at any one thing. But I think it's definitely possible to be good or at least have an understanding of multiple different disciplines within digital content writing. So, um, but one thing that I'm a, maybe a bigger advocate for is cross-departmental training and cross-skills training. So when I was working at my agency, I kind of adopted this mentality out of necessity. So essentially what ended up happening was, you know, I just kind of got sick of our tech team, like <laughs> doing things that tanked our traffic. And I was like, well, now I'm going to train our, our tech support team. And then I was sick of hearing, you know, our salesman on the phone saying things like, yeah, sure, we could get you to rank in like two months. 
and like, well, no, maybe, but don't promise that. And so <laughs> just like out of necessity, I was like, cross departmental training is awesome. And everyone should just be more cognizant of the other pieces of the puzzle, because I think, you know, whether or not you're be- going to become like a, a jack of all trades, I think it's just important to kind of have that knowledge of other different types of skill sets. So yeah, I don't think it's entirely possible to be an expert in everything. Like you're definitely going to feel like, burnt out if you try to do all of those things. But I think it's a little bit maybe even more just about um, being cognizant of those other skills and doing things that don't harm mm. other pieces of the puzzle and maybe even contribute to making them better. So I, I do also think that like if writers can adopt more of that type of mentality and do gain some skills in other areas, it will serve to their advantage, especially if they're trying to get a job or like a freelance contract with a company who doesn't have a big budget and they just mm. kind of do need one writer to do it all. So I think as much as you can develop those other skills. Yeah, do. that's definitely a big plus. Definitely a big yeah. plus. I mean, I could just speak to it from uh, an efficiency point of view that we have the same sort of thing where we have our, you know, the content department, we have the SEO team. Mm-hmm. Having someone who, who can do both, okay, everything we're going to write is going to go through an SEO audit anyway, but it just makes it that mm-hmm. much easier for the person doing the audit if it's already halfway optimized to begin with. It just makes it more streamlined, there's less fighting, there's more cohesiveness, and there's less less time wasted all overall. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you see, okay, in terms of this, do you see any limitations or is the sky the limit? Can a, can a, can a writer reasonably you know, ascend to great heights or are there going to be inherent limitations in what they can do? Yeah. In so general. I, think, I mean, yeah, in general, I think that's, you know, obviously a little bit hard to answer because everyone's so different. Right. But I do think, I do believe that people are, truly capable of almost anything. Like if you set your mind to something and you want to learn it, I think that you can. So I think it's less a matter of being maybe uh, capable of learning and being able to do all of these things. And a lot of it does come down to what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I definitely found myself in this situation, you know, and I still do to be honest, but the situation where I'm like, you know, I can do certain things, like certain aspects of SEO I can do and I can even be good at them. But I found myself not loving those those types of things and so I was feeling kind of really dragged down by that and burnt out anytime I had to do those types of tasks so I think if you're a writer who is trying to be versatile and do all these different types of things and you find that you just hate one component of it you don't feel like you have to force yourself to do that thing for the sake of becoming like oh but I need to be like a full stack well-rounded writer if you don't enjoy something i would say definitely don't do it but i would say it's possible if you want to do that and become a specialist in multiple different things i think you can do that but definitely listen to yourself when it comes to enjoyment because it's just it's never fun to do something out of pure obligation i mean there's no shame in that i mean i'll give you an example technical seo Mm -hmm. i I know it it, it's okay i don't particularly like it don't enjoy and i stay away from as much as i possibly can there's better people at it and that's fine. I can admit it. Yeah, I agree with that, too. There's a lot of things that when it does come to technical SEO, I think, you know, even on my own website, just launching like the Soapboxly website, there were things that I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> I don't want to minify these images. And I really don't want to, like, you know, focus on all these things. And so my husband's like, you know what, I'll do it. And he's, you know, as a developer and someone with that background, like, he was faster at it anyway. You know, it didn't bother him. So right. I was like, you know, that's okay. I, I can do this, but I think it's okay to say, look, I'm going to delegate this. That's a win-win. <laughs> that's definitely a win-win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you, because I, I I personally find that writing for me is is a lot like um, like acting. And I'm 
gonna I'm gonna make myself vulnerable here. I was watching a documentary <laughs> on Netflix on Spock from Star Trek, in case you've been okay. under a rock. And it goes through how he when Leonard Nimoy was playing Spock and he would he would get into the role and it was such a hard role. He was so emotional. He would come home and his kids it was their the son being interviewed would say, like my yeah, my dad would come home and he would basically be Spock because it was too hard for him to get in and out of the role. He would stay Spock the entire time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would choose acting over my family, but okay, no, uh, no, no judgment there on Spock. But I find the same thing with writing. If I'm in a, I'm in a technical SEO-oriented mindset, I tend to lean towards that. There are times when I'm more, I'm in a more creative mindset, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to find that balance. How do you sort of keep that zen? Because you sort of get into a way of thinking, and even though you may have multiple skill sets, you may be a full stack content writer. It's hard not to get into a certain way of, of thinking or operating and pull yourself back. Yeah, that's definitely true. I you sound like you might be similar to me. Like I I am very much split between like right brain and left brain. Yeah. But they don't always work at the same time. I'm a walking <laughs> contradiction. Yes, that's my problem. Yeah. I mean, I half the time I get in this very analytical mentality and I wanna just look at data and I wanna analyze things and then part the other half of me I try to go into like creative mode and then I'm only thinking about you know how to make this sound good or what the creative spin I could put on this and you're right it totally is hard to kind of keep your zen and you know yeah. how do you switch tracks I have found it helpful I mean it's always you know kind of a struggle if you're if you're that way and you have a job that's both you know analytical and somewhat creative um, but I've found it helpful to kind of compartmentalize so what I'll do in some cases is I will do my research up front. I will say, okay, here's what I am going to do. And I'm going to do all of the research, sort of like I'm building a framework. And then after that research is done, I kind of put on my wordsmithing hat and I put on my creative hat and I try to, you know, you're still doing research, but it's more like research looking for inspiration. And so it's like creative research. So I'm like looking for ideas. I'm looking to, you know, I don't know if you're familiar actually with the, um, the Bon Appetit like YouTube channel. So no. they have like just really creative. I'm just a big fan of like <laughs> food videos. And so <laughs> I watched that <laughs> quite a bit. And I was just thinking, you know, I was looking at some of their videos the other day, like I do almost every day. And they had some great ideas. I'm like, I'm going to pull from that and use it for my content. And so that I would oh, cool. say is research, but it's more like, you know, creative research. So I think when it comes to doing the two things, I try to like put on my analytical hat. And I think you know, what needs to be done in terms of moving the needle and what needs to be done in terms of, you know, making sure that this shows up in search engines. And then I try to put on my creative, my human hat, and I go, what would be interesting to read? So it's kind of like, you know, I'm building the canvas and then I'm going to put paint on it. But I mean, it is hard. It's still, it's always going to be hard, but I think it kind of helps when I take them as almost separate tasks. No, that's that. It's really helpful to have a a certain format, a certain procedure, how you go through it. I mean, for Mm -hmm. me, I just try to be, I should try to do that, actually. I should try to first put on the analytical hat. I don't. I'm, mm. But it, I find it that to be very conscious of it, to be very aware, okay, I know where I'm at. I know what this piece sounds like. I know what the last piece sounds like. I know what the piece before that sounded like. I can see where I am. I find that self-awareness sort of helps me out as well. Yeah. Again, speaking from, actually, no, I'm going to close the window because the kids next door are screaming. Oh, <laughs> sounds good. Better than my own kids screaming. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Okay. Again, I'm speaking from my own experience here. I got into SEO due to my writing skills. It's a long, complicated, pretty much uninteresting story, so I won't get into it. But there are <laughs> things, like we mentioned, that I'm naturally better at, things that I am and I am not naturally good at. Um, how do you compensate? Because that's a very stressful 
like uh, pain point, so to speak. I know that I'm, I, I want to do this. I need to do this, whatever it is. I know what I'm good at and I'm not good at it or I, I, I could be better at it. How do you deal with not being proficient or not as proficient as you would want to be? Yeah, that's a it's a great question and one I'm kind of always trying to explore. And I think like when I think about it, it boils down to two things. Like if I'm not, you know, I feel like I'm not necessarily good at one certain aspect of something. Number one, I just try to always think like a reader instead of thinking like the marketer. So I think the marketing or technical or any kind of aspect of what you're doing digitally for your customers, if you put yourself in your you know, potential customer shoes, your audience issues, it becomes a lot easier because you think about it more just like a human. And I think the decisions become a lot easier. And it's not just about like, what's the right SEO thing to do? Or what's the right copywriting thing to do? It's like, what's the what would I like? What would be helpful? Um, obviously, with SEO, there's like that added element of like Google's algorithm is not a perfect human. So you have to kind of think about it that way and have a little bit more of a technical bent. But I think the other side of that and not just thinking like a reader and thinking like a human, but it's leaning on people who are better than you. So I just think there's a lot of value and it can be hard sometimes to admit that you don't know something, but yeah. to lean on people that that do know things better than you um, and just asking them for their advice sometimes because that's that's how we get better. I mean, I think we were talking earlier about, you know, asking, you know, other people, delegating other things to other people. And I think that's really important. I mean, if you want to learn something and compensate for your lack of you know, skill in a certain area, like there's really no exchange for like working with someone who is a pro in that area and just coming yeah. up to it and being like, I want to be better. Help me. hundred <laughs> percent. Definitely. Don't be afraid to learn. And it, it is painful in the beginning, but you know, it gets easier at a certain point mm-hmm. along the same lines. I have to, I have to ask. So when you do jump into something new, right? For me, I never, I never used to work with images or graphics. And if you asked me a long time ago, five, 10 years ago, yeah, you're going to be working with images and graphics and deciding with the whole graphic look of the marketing department. I'd be like, you're nuts because that's not me, mm. but it is me in the end. So that was good, actually. But jumping into a new area, it's just so overwhelming sometimes. It's very stressful, as we, as we just mentioned. Do you have any tips or some concrete um, ideas? Or how do you prevent yourself from just becoming so overwhelmed by the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing. This is totally new. And if I want to develop, I'm going to have to learn this. Oh man, if you yeah. find someone with a good answer to that, like That's why I'm find. asking because I don't have a good answer to that. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was hoping I was you would have a good answer. <laughs> Other people's answers, but yeah, so I think it, you know, if I were to answer that, it's obviously like I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to other people, but I think there is a lot of um, you know, feelings of imposter syndrome in our industry just because it is fairly new. It's always changing. Um, it isn't taught in formal settings. I mean, not really. So I think a lot of us struggle with that imposter syndrome because no one really knows like what's the right way to do things. And with marketing or any type of digital, it's really hard because in a lot of cases, a lot of roads lead to the same destination. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a lot of quibbling over like, you know, is this the right way or that the right way? And I think, you know, when it comes to just trying things ourselves, a lot of us just feel like, well, I'm not good at this and I am so discouraged Um, And we feel not good because we're doing it differently than someone else. And no one really knows like the quote unquote right way to do something. So, I mean, yeah, I I would just say like everyone is capable. And I just feel like it's good to when you feel like you're lacking in a certain area just to be transparent. So I I think, yeah, it just it's really hard because like when you're insecure, there's nothing to really squash it until you kind of admit that you're insecure in a certain area. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, like. 
it's just going to keep going in your head. Like I know the times that I, that I am insecure because I'm like, oh man, I'm self-taught in this particular thing. I don't have the confidence to like do this well. Well, the only way to get that insecurity out of your head is to prove it to yourself one way or another that you're good at it or you're bad at it. So if you like, just do it, look at the results. And if, you know, it was a positive result, great. Then you, you can have confidence knowing you can affirm yourself and knowing that like, no, I am good at this thing, you know, and if the results aren't great, you know, ask someone who is good at that, ask them for, for tips, ask them like, Hey, like I did this thing, there weren't good results and I'm, you know, struggling, like help me. So I think when it comes to like, you know, just having confidence in these other types of areas that we're not sure we're totally good at, I think you just have to put it out there. You just have to like do something to prove to yourself one way or another you do or you don't know. And that's the only way to like move past that. I, I could, I could, I could just respond. Amen. But, <laughs> but the truth is everyone has this issue. First off, the, 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 the industry is so diverse. I mean, I mean, diverse in terms of it's people, but diverse in terms of what you could be doing. You could be, I mean, just uh-huh. in general, you're doing SEO, you're doing PPC, you could be content. And within each of these fields, there are a million different um, aspects that all intertwine together at some point in some way. And everyone, I feel like I could be wrong. Everyone in this, to a certain degree is is sort of faking it in a way. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that it, it's just a natural. It is what it is, and you have to sort of fake it a little bit. And because listen, there is a lot of self taught out there. I think it's inherent in our industry that for any given aspect or any given area, you're gonna have to self teach yourself. Oh yeah, I agree. You really do have to teach yourself and teach yourself, and then help you know teach others, and then others can teach you. It's very much just about like there is no rule book for this. There's no, no library full of digital marketing books that we can all go to and be like, ah, now I know the answer. (laughs) Like, and that's really, it's so dependent on every particular client. Like there really are no universal truths. I mean, there are, obviously there are like best practices that if you don't do those things, like, right. Don't, don't keyword stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So don't, yeah. Don't keyword, don't do things that violate Google guidelines, all of those things like that aside, obviously like we should be doing those things. Um, But when it comes to the other stuff, I I just think that it's really important to kind of, just do it yourself, test it yourself and see, because there really are no universal truths. So I think it does make us all feel like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but it is a little <laughs> bit. You feel like you're faking it until you make it. <laughs> right. By the way, like you're always your own worst critic. Um, a, friend, I'm, yes. a friend of mine has, he calls it, and not his, I'm sure someone else invented this, but he calls it missing tile syndrome, right? You redo your kitchen, you put in all the tiles and there's one in the corner that's a little bit off and you're the only one who notices. Ah, right? that's perfect. So... When you when you write something, when you're researching something that's new and you put it out there, you're like, oh, man, I don't really know what, what I'm doing here. More, you know, more likely than not, you do. It does sound good. It does come off well. And you're the only one who notices that it might not be where you want it to be kind of thing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I we are our own worst critics. I know for myself, like I definitely – you know, I've been working remotely for almost a year now and I'm not used to that. I'm still right. just getting used to that. So I think when it comes to like helping with that, it's it's definitely lean on your coworkers and I'm trying to find other ways to be able to to do that because it's you really like you need that someone to unstick you. You need someone yeah. to kind of just be that verbal like just tell me if I'm crazy or tell me, you know, <laughs> you need you need that kind of like external opinion to kind of get you out of that headspace sometimes or else we will just spiral and just yeah. keep thinking yep. it's not right it's not right until someone's there to be like you're fine like calm you need down. someone to break the rumination somehow i know as a fellow yeah. remoter i get it mm, yeah. so let me ask before we before we sort of sum up here 
in general, what are some challenges that you see being unique to full-stack content writer? And what sort of traits do you see as being unique to being successful as a full-stack content writer? So I think one of the risks, at least for me personally, what you know, when I'm acting as a full-stack content writer and I'm trying to, you know, do a lot of different types of things. And over the years, I've kind of developed this like spirit of the law rather than a letter of the law kind of mentality. And so for me, that means that I might not always remember my Oxford comma or, you know, I might. For shame. Yeah, I know. Well, I annoy, I tend to annoy, I think. I mean, no one one has been like, you're annoying. But (laughs) I think I, I might tend to annoy certain like specialists, people who are like, I am very good at this one thing and I am like an exceptional copywriter. I'm an exceptional whatever. And um, I think I I tend to annoy people who are in that mentality because I'm like, well, the spirit of it's there. Like we got the big picture. And I think that's the risk for me is when I'm focusing on so many things, I have the end goal in mind. I'm very pragmatic about what I do. I'm not as detailed sometimes when it comes to like the finer points of things. So that's, I think, potentially a risk. It's the risk for me. I just have to always remember, like, you know, it it matters to be exceptional when you're doing things, you know, and have the end goal in mind and have the big picture in mind. Um, When it comes to quality, though, I think like anytime I hired a writer, I always look for like baseline. They have to like, I have to just like the sound of their content because that is the hardest thing slash I think kind of even impossible to teach. Like there are some people who just have the skill and they can write prose that sounds good and it sounds like it's high quality and you like it. It's, It's just natural to read and it's enjoyable to read. And I think that's the baseline. So that's when it comes to, you know, digital marketing writing in any capacity, that's like my baseline quality. But I also think that some of the best writers I've worked with are the ones that have that ability to kind of look past like the the myopia of what they're doing and see what they're doing for their client. They have the ability to step into like a client's shoes and see how they're trying to run their business, what their business goals are. And they can kind of become like a subject matter expert, not only for their client's industry, but for their client. They're almost able to kind of like take on that, you know, wear that coat of I am, I am my client. And I think people who have that ability to kind of step in that role and just really immerse themselves in their client's industry and who their client is, I think those kind of make some of the best writers because they're able to see their goal in the big picture. And I think they're able to adapt and become full stack because of it out of necessity. Well, that's really interesting. By the by, the way, I know for someone who has not hired a writer before, having a baseline of can you string a sentence together may sound, no, that's kind of obvious, but you will be very surprised how rare that actually is. Yes, there's a lot of people who, you know, I've, I've either interviewed or worked with in the past and, you know, you, you read their writing and it's like, you know, technically your title is writer, but like not everyone has that. I mean, you can't, this is English. You're stringing a <laughs> sentence together. And I, I don't mean that to sound harsh. Everyone has different skills, you yep. know, and some people just, their content does not read well and it doesn't, it, it upsets clients and you can't have that as a baseline. You really do have to be able to have someone whose content is nice to read. If you read it and you go, Oh, that's kind of awkward. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, that good. Yeah, that's not good. Just listen to that and just, I think for me too, sometimes I've been hopeful, like, oh, maybe I can teach that. It's been very hard. So I would just say, like, you have to love their content mm-hmm. right off the bat. Very much, very much agree. By the way, don't feel bad about the commas. I used to teach English and I'm 
I still walk through a piece of content. I'm like, wait, comma here, not comma here. And by the way, one <laughs> of the guys on the SEO team, he's fantastic at editing. And I'll, I'll send it to him like, do me a favor, can you look at this? And I'll always come back, comma here, comma here, comma there. I'm like, oh, man, I should know this. I taught English, right? So don't feel bad because yeah. I feel guilty every time. Right. I think once you know the rules, you kind of like have more license, you think, in your mind to kind of break those rules. But it's, st it's still important to follow the rules. <laughs> it, it is. But by the way, my problem with the commas, I, I use them when I write, I speak in my head at the same time. So I put in yes. commas the way I would speak, but not the way you would write. That's my, that's my comma issue. Oh, yeah. No, I totally do that as well. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, good. I'm good. See, this is great. It's the problem with remoting. I can't find anybody who has the same comma issue as me. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, I identify with that. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for these amazing tips. This is one of my favorite conversations I've done in this podcast. But before I you go, I have, to, I have to ask you to play a little game. Um, I call it Optimize It or Disavow It. I'm going to give you two options. And you're forced to choose between... Either two really bad options and you have to choose one bad option over another bad option, which sucks. <laughs> or you have to choose between two really good options and throw one really good option to the wayside. So this is the Cameron Jenkins version of Optimize It or Disavow It. So if you could do one or the other, again, it's zero sum. You don't really have a choice to do both. If you could write with you know, sound SEO practice, or if you could write with a creative soul, which would you go for? Oh, yes, this is tough. This is the, <laughs> you know, the age old question, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you want both. That's like it. That's a given. That's why this isn't. That's why it's a problem. Yep, that's why it's a problem. <laughs> but okay, so if I had to pick just a baseline, like what you could have in life, and I can only pick one, I would say natural ability, like I would choose to be creative because I think, you know, if this is allowed, I would say like SEO can be taught, but if you right. can have one thing just like inherent, like as a baseline, I would choose creativity all day because, you know, I think a lot of people can learn SEO uh, kind of like, you know, the last question we were talking about, it's a lot harder to be able to learn how to just have those intuitive creative instincts. So I would, I would pick that. I'm so with you on that one. I know all the <laughs> yeah. SEO folks are like, no, 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 you can't do that. But That's I'm telling you, <laughs> you cannot you cannot teach creative. Yep. Yep. It's true. Yep. All right. That is the end of our interview with Cameron Jenkins from Soapboxly. Definitely check out the link that we'll place into the blog post for this podcast to Soapboxly and check out her podcast again. Thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And we are back to your regularly scheduled In Search SEO podcast. I'm all in everything Cameron just said which is not always true. No matter how much I respect my guests, and I always respect all of them very, very much, it's hard to agree with somebody 100% because you just always have difference of opinions and small minutiae. Not here. 100%. Everything you said, I totally agree with. Which, by the way, brings us to the Rank Ranger in search SEO community question of the week. Take it away. As marketers, writers, or even SEOs, how do you compensate for your own limitations? So when we're asking... Here on the In Search SEO podcast, we're about getting in touch with our feelings. And I'm asking you to get a little bit vulnerable here, but there's nothing to hide from. Every single one of us has gaps, has shortcomings. Okay, I consider myself to be an all around, you know, you know, a utility man. It's like the utility player in baseball. You have no idea what I'm talking about. The guy who could play every position in baseball. I'm, I'm versatile. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at doing different things. Okay, I've had a variety of careers. I've been pretty good at learning new things, but I have gaps. 
Okay, and we all have our tricks and methods for dealing with them. So I'm asking you, the SEO community at large, to share. Okay, I'll give you an example, a tip that I use, okay? I guess the way my brain works, it's like I, I, I very much analyze things. I'm, 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 a, I'm hardwired that way. I'm critical. I'm a cynic. So I use that. So I'm talking to somebody, okay? I'm doing an interview, let's say. And I can't fully process the technical implications of what they're saying because the people we bring on the show are experts in particular areas, right? So it's hard. For, I'm not an expert in every particular area. I'm freely, I will freely admit that. We had somebody on, um, Zach Benningfield from CallRail, about Google Ads automation. I am not an expert at all about Google Ads automation. Because how do you do an interview like that? I mean, obviously, you do a lot of research beforehand, right? But one of the things that I tend to do is if someone's talking about something and I can sort of abstract out what the real-life implications are of that, right? If you do X, well, what's the real-life implication of, of X? And ask a question based upon that as opposed to going technical. As opposed to asking a technical follow-up question, I say, okay, so if we're talking about X and X has you know, so many implications in the real world, that's a question I'll ask over a technical question because I don't have the technical knowledge. So I just abstract out, apply it to the real world setting, and I'm able to move on that way. So you've caught me, okay? You, when you see me do that, it means that I, I didn't have a technical knowledge. There's a content gap that I've had, and that's a trick I use to solve it, which is fine. I'm totally okay with that. So now you know my tricks. Okay, so look out, by the way, for the community question. It'll be on the Rank Ranger Twitter account. You can find it on the blog post at Harbors' podcast. You can comment right on social media. We have a form also in case you want to be anonymous or you just want to put it on a form for posterity. Uh, it will be there. You can look forward on, on Facebook. You can look forward on LinkedIn. We'll post it all over the place. Please, please, please. We love when you share your responses with us. It really does help the community, I feel. And it's always nice to hear new insights and sort of expand our collective minds. By the way, should take a look back at last week. And see what you all had to say about last week's question. Last week we asked, we spoke about local link building with Garrett French. And we asked, uh, what works for you when running a local link building campaign? Marcus Miller chimed in, who, by the way, has some really great search and land columns out there. And he chimed in by recommending to start off by analyzing which sites are linking to the competition within the local market. The idea being, by the way, and to quote Marcus, and it's to get an understanding of what types of links exist in your local, uh, in your location niche, rather. With this information, Marcus says, you can then look for similar links that none of your competitors have. So solid tip right there, folks. Thanks, Marcus. By the way, you can find Marcus on Twitter at Marcus Bowler Hat, M-A-R-C-U-S-B-O-W-L-E-R-H-A-T, because he is the founder of bowlerhat.co.uk. Okay, it's up here. I'm so glad you're here because I do not like doing the news by myself. I have been the last two, three weeks where Kim has not been here. I've been flying solo, and each time I've been complaining about doing the news. So, being that you're here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, could you please hit it with the news? With pleasure. Okay, so Google Marketing Live brought us a number of f- new changes, wi- which we discussed a bit earlier. These announcements include Discover Feed Ads, Gallery Ads, a large carousel of images reflecting products, Showcase Shopping Ads, which are a cluster of images that you can expand. Uh, they will hit YouTube and the Discover Feed. And lastly, Google will let you purchase directly from the SERP, Image Search and YouTube. Yeah, so by the way, Discover Feed ads don't make so much sense to me. Okay, Discover is is all about, um, it's, by the way, it's in, in the Google app. It's also on the mobile homepage in the U.S. I think in the U.K. also. 
it's carefully curated content that's based upon is placed there based upon your previous search history or YouTube watch history, meaning the content there is specifically there because they further the interest that you are already interested in that Google knows because you have searched for it or watched it on YouTube. How do ads fit into that? Where does an ad fit into the Discover feed? If the whole idea is custom curated content based upon your interest, not what someone is putting out there as an, in an advertisement. I'm just saying. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Google is bringing its trip center on mobile to desktop. By heading over to google.com slash travel, users can now plan out their flights and ho hotels on desktop. Yeah, so it's really interesting, by the way, that... Okay, so first off, Google's adding these new features, right? They're showing you hotels you already viewed. They're offering you new attraction suggestions once you're on your trip and so forth. All this to me, I've, 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 I'm banging on the drum for a while. The travel sites, the booking sites need to pick up their game. Instead of trying to shove a car rental down my throat, which I've mentioned on this podcast before, offer me some real insights. So I, I blame you guys mostly, not Google for this one. Okay, sorry for the uh, little peeve there. It's okay. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's continue. So Google also has, again, updated its quality rater guidelines. This is the first change since the summer of 2018. Most notably, Google has changed a lot of its language around EAT to page quality. Yeah, so, okay. There are a bunch of changes. Um, the SEM post, Jennifer Slag has a great write-up. You should definitely check it out. We'll link to it in the, in the blog post for this podcast. So what's confusing here is that Google changed a lot of the EAT language, EAT, you know, uh, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness uh, to page quality, which seems to indicate that the two terms are interchangeable. Yet, in some instances, uh, the EAT language remains, the EAT language remains. So why weren't they all changed? Why weren't all instances changed? Personally, okay, so which means, by the way, uh, well, it raises the question, like, is EAT synonymous with page quality or not? I mean, I, I think that it is because, I, I, to me, this was about Google not being happy, in my opinion. And, of course, I'm speculating and, of course, I'm being cynical, but that's okay. It's my prerogative. Google wasn't happy about the conversation around, uh, around EAT and the algorithm and all that stuff we've been, you know, jiving around about for the last couple of months in the SEO community. So it changed the language in the quality rater guidelines to sort of diffuse that that um, oh, I don't have a good word for it. <laughs> that I'm, I'm at a loss of words. Wow. That's a in first. Order to yeah, that is a first. Thank you. In order to diffuse that, I guess what it thought to be was a ticking time bomb of sorts. Okay. I found a good way to, to, to phrase it. You Great. never failed. I know. Yeah. Eventually. I get there eventually. Slow, slow and steady wins the race. Okay. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. Lastly, Google no longer plans on offering a specific image ser search referral uh, URL. The idea was to make it easier to separate out traffic that came from image search from other Google referral traffic. All I have to say here is Google giveth and Google taketh away. By the way, the, the, one of the things was they didn't make an announcement about it. It came out like they, they, someone saw an update to the blog post that Google had on this, and it was a whole, well, it was a whole big faux pas. Okay. Thank you very much for, for doing that. You're welcome. I really don't like doing the news. I like we have the news on the show. Mm -hmm. I just don't like reading it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Okay. So now that uh, we have a brand new and wonderful co-host, I can now subject her to having to deal with the fun SEO send-off question. So it's been a great show, and much thanks to Yusuf here. But now as we reach the end of the episode, could you please tell us... 
How does Google handle rejection? I'll, I'll, okay, I'll go first. <laughs> I'll go first. You're new. It's your first time. It's your first crack at it. I get it. Okay, I'll start us off. Because what the heck question is that? I get it. That's the whole point. It's like, what the heck question is this? Okay, so while most folks, after being rejected, um, may dive into a long and hearty binge into all sorts of foods or chemically altering beverages, you can figure out what that is. Google, on the other hand, just de-indexes its rejector, never to have to render them on the SERP again and rehash all of those painful memories. Now it's your turn. Mm, Take it away. I mean, I don't know. Google might act up like one of those creepy guys that just can get a no for an answer, you know? Um, yeah, it's a long story. Don't ask. <laughs> and, and, and I won't ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going li- we're, we're to leave it right there. Thank you so much for joining us on the InSearch SEO podcast. We hope you tune in again and join us next Tuesday for an all-new episode with an all-new search marketing expert. It's InSearch because we're all in search of something. Thank you. Thank you.